Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. This is Elaine miller Karras. Our show today brings two distinguished healthcare leaders who will share the anguish and pain COVID has confronted to their professions. They will share resiliency strategy and what is helping them and their their colleagues get through. The pandemic is spiraling out of control, and the number of hospitalized individuals and deaths is certain to rise over the next several months. As of today, More people have died from COVID-19 in the last year than American service members killed during World War II. Our cherished healthcare workers have been on the front lines, never ending their care for the sick and dying in spite of the lack of sometimes protective equipment and their own risk in being infected by the virus. As of this morning, 442,824 Americans have died from COVID-19. And one of them was a dear friend of mine and the Trauma Resource Institute, an organization that I founded. Her name was Loveland Santos, a dedicated and loving social worker who was only 46 years old when she died two weeks ago. I was struck by the dedication, endurance, and compassion of the nurses who cared for her and how they made every attempt to let her know those who loved her were thinking of her, even though we could not visit. And then I began to reflect about my own experience and how this must be replicated over and over in every hospital in the intensive care units in America and the world. So it is my honor today to introduce you to our two guests, Dr. Deborah Small, who's a physician, and and Dr. Lindy Grabby, who is a nurse practitioner. And they're going to share with us some of the suffering that they've observed in themselves and their colleagues. And also, very importantly, what are some of the things that they've done that have not only helped themselves, but how they also are dedicated to helping others um, in the world that they live in? But I want to tell you a little bit more about both of them. So the first person I want to talk to a little bit is about Dr. Lindy Grabby. She is a board-certified family nurse practitioner and psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. She received actually nursing's highest honor in 2020 when the American Academy of Nurses recognized her as one of its accomplished leaders. She's also a clinical assistant professor at Emory University School of Nursing. And now Dr. Debbie Small, who I have known. Debbie, I have to say it. I'm going to call you Dr. Small for the show, but you're Debbie to me. But I have known her for over 20 years because I first met her when I was a teacher of family medicine. And she was actually an intern who I taught. And she has become one of my most beloved colleagues and friends. But she is a board-certified family practice physician, and she's the associate program director at the Family Medicine Program at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center, where I used to work, where she works now. And it's one of the oldest family residency countries, I'm sorry, residency programs in the country. And she's also the medical director at Fontana Family Health Center. And she's a founding board member of the Trauma Resource Institute which is an organization that brings healing interventions to our world community. So first of all, thank you both for your service. Um, Without 
individuals like you, it would be so much more difficult for all individuals in the world that are impacted um, with suffering and death right now. So to start off with, before we talk about some of the challenges, and Dr. Small, I'm going to ask you first, um, you've shared some of your ideas about resiliency. And what are some of the things right now that are that help you get through these definitely unprecedented times? Well, first of all, thank you, Elaine, for having me on today. And when I talk when I think about what helps me get through and has kept me resilient, it reminds me of um, our model from the Trauma Resource Institute in resourcing. One of the best resources for me was my sister Kavan Small. At the beginning of the pandemic, she started this group text with me, um, her, and our sister Jenny. And I have to say it, at many times it was just, it saved the day because we would text about the latest recipe we were trying um, and also about our hairstyle and the hair of the day. And it may sound trivial, but honestly, when you're dealing with such in, uh, the enormity of seeing death on a day in and day out basis and you get to your car, sometimes I just want to cry. And having a text from my sisters about something that's, you know, very normal for us really helped me, you know, gain my perspective, reset myself and move from resourcing to grounding myself, which is another technique we, um, we teach and just move on through the day. So... Thank you very much, Dr. Small. And I guess the other thing, when you talk about, you know, the, some of the suffering that you've experienced, um, I, I just, and there's one other thing that you told me about holding patients' hands that was very moving to me. Could you share a little bit about that? Because you said that was a resource for you as well. Yes, it, um, I think I have several. And one of the resources is the fact that, you know, we don't, we are limiting the amount of family members that come into the hospital and being able to hold someone's hand when you know they're not doing well and your greatest fear is that they won't make it and to be there until a family member is allowed to be present. It's, they, they grab your, if they can understand you, they will grab your hand and recognize that they're not alone. Yeah. And it's so caring. One of my residents who did something fabulous, a patient was fighting hard against COVID and it was her birthday. And it was just so beautiful. Dr. Gandhi celebrated her birthday with her. And they're busy. The residents are busy. And yeah. she took time out of her day to buy her a, a birthday present, get her a card and sit there and spend time and celebrate with her. Yeah. I th you know, these are important things that we do to help us say, yes, we're, we're surrounded by death. I've never filled out so many death certificates <laughs> yeah. um, in such a short period of time in my life. But these shining lights of resourcing really help you ask yourself what else is what else is new what else is there yeah so these so small moments 
of buying a present, of acknowledging a birthday. I mean, even when you were talking about your sisters, talking about your hair, or when they send you that, oh, yes, that's right, I have this, what else is true in my life? I often say in this uh, show, kind of my byline is what else is true, and I think that was a a beautiful illustration. So now, um, thank you, Dr. Small. We're going to go to Dr. Grabby. And Lindy, I'm going to ask you, I've known Lindy for a number of years, and um, I have so much appreciation for her because she does things on a a macro level in terms of helping to bring healing to nurses throughout the country, actually throughout the world. But Lindy, I'm going to ask you the same question. Is there something, you know, your definition of resiliency and and what has helped you through these times? I think it's um, seeing um, resilience is seeing that there's going to be some great things, even that come from these, these terrible times that we are in. Um, I think I was driven before the pandemic to get CRIM to as many people as possible. And since um, March, um, when the times have been so desperate, um, it's just been an opening for us to teach CRIM to not just healthcare providers, but the general population as so well, you, because everybody's so, suffering right now. Yeah, and then people okay. might not know what CRIM is. Can you? Oh, um, sure. Yes, what is CRIM? Tell us in your okay. words, what is CRIM? The community resiliency model is a very simple set of concepts and skills, uh, which can bring enormous benefit. And I think one of my sources of strength is seeing the aha moments which I've experienced with uh, homeless youth, with women in drug treatment, where all of a sudden they realize that they have within themselves a a source of strength and resilience that they can access any time. So I'm very committed to teaching to the maximum number of people, and healthcare providers have been a big focus for, for me and my group. So, you know, as you say that, I'm thinking, well, and what Dr. Small said when she talked about her sisters, sometimes less is more. It doesn't have to be something big. It can be something small, Mm -hmm. but it can have great meaning to you. Mm -hmm. Or maybe even when Dr. Small talked about her resident and how the resident took that time, that small moment, because she was giving to the patient. But I also wonder, she was also giving to herself as well to be able to be, I think, the healer that physicians are as well as as, as nurses. Absolutely. So I'm wondering, as we, as we go forward a little bit, if you each could maybe share another personal story that is, has, um, I know, Dr. Small, you were thinking about one of your personal experiences with one of your patients, if you'd like to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. You know, I think one of the things I find so frustrating about caring for COVID is some patients do well, some patients don't, and it happens so quickly. And you you don't have that crystal ball, who's going to respond and who will not respond. And In December, when I was on inpatient service, there was a patient who I had a a great conversation with. My residents were working at night, so it was the two of us. And, you know, he was a little upset that I wasn't going to send him home on oxygen. He felt great. And we had such a great conversation that I really thought, man, he's going to make it. I know he's going to make it. 
the conversation was just had so much clarity to it. And the next day when my residents were back on the day shift, I said, oh, he's fine. He's going to make it. I mean, he's really strong. And then sadly, just like that, that wasn't the case. And it cut me to the core. I mean, it, it really affected me because I know we did everything, but I just couldn't, I just didn't know how to reach, move past his death. And I have to thank our chairman for Dr. Lanham for having an open door policy because I needed something to resource right then and there. And having that moment with him and giving me that realization, yeah, you did everything. And unfortunately, with this disease, this happens, was um, just a great um, resource to help um, me focus because you have to move on. And, and And sometimes you feel stuck and I just don't know how to, I'll remember him forever because I don't know how to move past that last conversation that we had that was so vibrant. Right. And so he had so much clarity that you said, so he didn't expect that he would, he would die from this illness. And that was really difficult. And he didn't expect it. So, you know, when we talk about these kinds of things, and I, you know, you've talked about talking with your chairman of your department and some of the other resiliency skills that you bring in that, you know, what we hope is that those are going to help you. Because I would like to go to Dr. Grabby now, because I know that she's done so much research um, on nurses and trying to help them. Because um, could you share a little bit, Dr. Grabby, about um, post-traumatic stress injury that happens to nurses? Because I think this also not only relates to nurses, but physicians as well. When you have those over and over again, how do we help our colleagues? But is this common to to have distress? Um, So my primary uh, population of um, clinical population is homeless uh, women and youth and children and um, drug-addicted women. Um, but um, I was asked to give an interview on depression among nurses and did my homework and discovered that nurses had doubled the rate of uh, depression and PTSD uh, pre-COVID. Um, and I know from the physician literature that, you know, they have burnout as well and even issues around suicide. So this is very serious. Um, So we did a randomized control trial, which simply means that we had two groups. Uh, One was the community resiliency model and um, those nurses got, uh, it was all nurses. Uh, They got a three hour uh, in-person CRIM class. And so we taught these skills and concepts. And the other group was a wonderful group, too, of nutrition. We even taught mindful eating, but it was the CRIM group that came away with increased uh, resilience, well-being, and decreased secondary traumatic stress symptoms uh, and uh, physical symptoms as well, which is the way stress manifests itself through our bodies. Um, So, um, we had 
significant findings even after a year. Uh, and the nurses were using the skills. They were grounding, um, touching their scrubs or their clothing and noticing the texture. And when they did that, it was like resetting their mind, their central, their um, nervous system. And uh, so it's very magical to see that uh, that can help um, with stress tolerance. Um, we've just um, gotten accepted for publication, an article which had very similar findings, but it was a broader group. It was not randomized, but um, it was included physicians, nurses, uh, social service providers and from the community. So again, we did the three-hour class and very strong uh, results that uh, showed improvement that they were using the skills and they were getting the benefits. So, so Dr. Gary, I'm just wondering from the research, because I know the first study that you, you cited, you did before the pandemic. And uh, is the second study as well was before the pandemic? Yes, yes. So how do you, how do you think that these skills could help people, uh, nurses, physicians, health, other healthcare providers, now that we're faced with this pandemic? Because there's so much concern, I think, in our um, our in healthcare about you know what is going to be the the repercussions to this not only presently but in the future um, yeah. to our healthcare providers in terms of, and we know it's not over they're in the trenches and they've been in the trenches now for a year and we're just hopefully it's kind of sliding downward a little bit right now but there's even talk about a, a new a variant of the virus and how that might be impactful. So could you maybe illuminate us a little bit about what your thoughts are about that? Well, and people talk about the secondary pandemic of mental health problems, right. not just uh, in the, that's in the general population because of loneliness, isolation, exactly, um, fear, anxiety, uh, financial stress and so on, but it's the frontline workers, and I include everybody who works in hospitals, the housekeepers, the um, nursing technicians, um, everybody uh, who is at risk for post-traumatic stress disorder, for anxiety disorders and depression, and you know that brings questions about suicide. So we've really got to be doing preventative work right now which is why I'm very gung-ho on the on Elaine's creation, which is <laughs> gift to mankind, the community resiliency model. And we're testing right now to see if a one-hour virtual training uh, can help people. And um, so we don't have results yet. I, uh, I do not know, but I've seen that light in people's eyes after they learn the skills and something very magical happens at that moment when they realize that they can feel better. They can help themselves to feel better and they can have hope that we will come away from this stronger. Well, and, um, and so, you know, as you say that, I, I know um, I'm going to go back to Dr. Small. Dr. Small, one of the things that I asked you about was about things that illuminate your life's purpose, which is really connected to what Dr. Grabby was just talking about, because I know that you not, are not only dedicated to your patients, but you're a teacher of family medicine. You are dedicated in to teach medical students and residents about all the things having to do with, with medical care, including the behavioral sciences. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about that, about your perspectives about that. Well, 
First, I have to say that the nurses in the hospital are the rock stars. I mean, they spend <laughs> way more time with the patient and talking to family members on the uh, on over the phone than than I do. And um, I I think their work is immeasurable. What's amazing is how the nurses who I will walk into the wards and they'll say, "Yeah, so much death." There's just so much death, but then stop and start to sing a song and say, hey, Dr. Small, how are you doing today? To take that moment and and do that is really helps. You can see the light in their eye that if I can sing a song for Dr. Small, then I can, you know, move on and and take care of the next patient and the residents and the pulmonary fellows are just knocking it out of the park day in and day out. I mean, their, their jobs are such, are so labor intensive and the fact that they can um, find ways and look to us to process. And so process what they see, that's what we're trying to do as their attending physician is with each um each death is sit there and process what what happened, what transpired. Give them a chance to talk it over with the attendings. And the, and the attendings in the Department of Family Medicine have all been committed to taking that time out with their teams and are doing a fantastic job of helping helping them find their their resource and understand that what they're doing is noble work and it may not be happy work but what they're doing is phenomenal and they come in with the same energy that they had the next day it's amazing so you see that kind of um really grit and resiliency even though there's so much suffering so it sounds like the support of your residents is as important as a support to your patients. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we're also proud of is that in the first phase of the pandemic, a lot of doctors closed their office um, temporarily. We never closed our office. None of the family medicine, all three of the clinics stayed open and have remained open this entire time. We're very proud of that. Hey, there are other people who are sick with other ailments other than COVID. And our patients recognize that. A lot of our patients would say, my neighbor can't get in to see their doctor and I'm just grateful that I can, I can come in and see my doctor today. I didn't realize how lucky I, I am. And they've been, our, our patients have showed have brought a lot of gratitude to, um, towards the work that we do. And that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And now I'm going to come back to Lindy and, and Dr. Grabby and ask her, you know, I know you heard a lot of things from, from the nursing staff and maybe also in terms of that illumination, what have you maybe seen and or heard about the same sorts of things that Dr. Small has just, because I know the nurses keep going. And oh, they're exhausted. They're exhausted. They, they are exhausted in mind and body and spirit. That's the hardest thing to keep up their energy. Well, I'm just wondering, too, I think Dr. Small said it, there's a difference between nursing and and being the doctor, right? The nurses are there 24-7. 
not to say the doctors aren't in charge 24-7, but they're not necessarily by the bedside and monitoring and getting to know that patient in that really deep way that I think that like the nurses got to know my friend Loveland because I know that when I call them and said, is there any way that I can call, I can talk to her? I wanted her to know that she received a really important honor from our organization. And they said, okay, give me your number. I'll call you and I'm going to put you on speaker. And so when Loveland could still hear because she was on a ventilator, she heard me talk with her for five minutes and the nurse came back. She said, she nodded, she, she nodded. And I was like, I have tears in my eyes thinking about it right now. But that was the nurse going that extra mile. But I imagine, I mean, again, that's just one patient when you think of the over 400,000 people who've died. So I'm going to be really interested when we come back from our break, if you can talk to us a little bit more about how to help them, that that kind of exhaustion that you're talking about. Because I also want to appreciate as much as there are um, there's similarities between nursing and being a physician and the other healthcare workers, there's something that nurses do that I certainly have experienced at the times I've been in the hospital that has just really gone that extra mile. So um, we're going to be taking a break in, in a few in a few minutes, not quite yet. So I'm just wondering, Lindy, if there's any things that are popping in your mind right now as we're well, I think, sure a lot. <laughs> I think uh, all healthcare providers need to be engaging in big time self-care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Compassion for self, um, but also treating yourself as well as you possibly can. Um, And the little skills of of, uh, the community resiliency model, I think that would bolster um, uh, energy and resilience just in the routine of daily activities of nursing. The nurses are so busy, they're so overloaded, and they're being asked to work extra days. And you know, they're team members, so they're doing it. Um, But they have to really take care of themselves. And I think that, you know, what I've observed in nurses, I've also seen this in my field in social work, is that when there is something that there's a crisis, we tend to overwork. And we tend to show up and do whatever is needed, even to the cost of our own health and well-being. Do you think this is happening right now um, in healthcare and both? And, you know, Dr. Small, too, you can chime in on that as well. Oh, yes. I mean, the normal patient to nurse ratio went out the window um, during this pandemic, especially in the ER. They're doing multiple patients. And with one nurse, it's it's. It's difficult, and I am just in awe, and they need, I wish they could all get a a month vacation. (laughs) I really do, because the the work they do is immeasurable and intense. I know that month vacation doesn't sound very likely right now when we're still in the throes of it right now. Not at all. Yes, I hope for that as well. You know, and so we're going to take a short break. And so when we return, Dr. Small and Grabby will continue with their ideas about resiliency. And I'm hoping that Dr. Grabby can maybe even go into a little bit more about what she's doing, because I know she's done a number of webinars for nurses in the country. And uh, and we can hear more about from Dr. Small about what she's doing in her part of the world as well. So we will be back. Um, and, rem- and I'm Elaine Miller-Karras. This is Resiliency Within. And we will be back to have more conversation with our two guests. And I'm 
going to just say to both of you one more time, I'm so grateful of the work that you both are doing. And I know that you are both um, just such leaders in your areas of expertise and your field. And I'm just so happy that I've gotten to know you in my life. And I'm so grateful that I get to share you with our listeners so that I know you, but so does a, a lot more people know you now. So um, anyway, I'm got, I, got, I better stop right now because I got tears in my eyes. So we're going to take our break and we will be back with Dr. Small, Dr. Deborah Small and Dr. Linda Grabby. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. This is Resiliency Within with um, Dr. Debbie Small and Dr. Lindy Grabby. And we've been talking about healthcare providers. We've been talking about just the, the sheer, oh my goodness, what they go through right now because of the pandemic. 
but also what I love that you both are talking to is also how you're illuminating some of the resiliency factors that uh, you both have been engaging in and helping people understand in a broader way. So as we we come back, I'm going to ask you, um, I think, a very important question. Um, and that is, what gives you courage, strength, and hope right now? And I'm going to ask Dr. Small to give us her her answer to that first, and then I'll come with to, back to Dr. Grabby. Okay, well, it's the vaccines. Um, I wish we could get more, faster, more, <laughs> and as many as possible. Um, the vaccines give me hope because having been on the side where you just see um, patients dying day in and day out, the vaccines offer hope. And as Linda and I were talking yesterday, one less person in the hospital. Our vaccine clinic at the McKee Clinic um, put a, a shout out asking for volunteers one Friday. And since I was free, I went to the vaccine clinic for that day. And it was just life affirming. I, I tell you, I, at the end of the day, I had tears in my eyes because everybody was so excited the staff was excited because they were finally doing something tangible that could actually prevent this this disease. And the patients coming in their cars were just excited that, okay, I have a shield of armor now that will protect me from this disease. And one of my colleagues, Dr. Robeson, had the pleasure of vaccinating her mom I had the honor of vaccinating my stepmother. And to me, that was symbolic of protecting my whole, a chance to protect my whole family, protect my community. And it's one step closer that I can fly 3,000 miles to see my family, my sisters, my, my mom back east. It just, it, to me, it's the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I can even hear that in your voice, Dr. Small, as you're talking about that. I mean, it's almost like you became light as you you spoke about that, because when we talk about the exhaustion and just the suffering that you've described to us, having these moments that can, you know, give us a little bit of hope, I think are so important. And so, um, I'm going to ask also Dr. Grabby if she could give us a little bit of her ideas about you know, what is it that gives you hope or strength and courage right now when you look at what's happening in the world? Well, I think we're moving into a good place. I think there's a lot of energy and movements towards social justice, racial equity, um, and bringing the country together. Um, I feel like um, people are awake. The fact that more people voted than ever before that things happened in Georgia that we would not have expected. Um, I just think people have, there's a lot of really good people doing a lot of really good things. And for members of society who are, are disenfranchised, you know, we need to find ways to um, empower them so they have the self-esteem and that, you know, feel... Uh, self-actualization, really. Uh, and so, you know, that's happening in a lot of different ways, and we, we're a little piece of the puzzle. Well, I, I want to ask a question that's kind of um, 
relates to the vaccine and some of the hope that you're talking about that you've seen in Georgia. But one of the conversations I had with a colleague yesterday was about people who don't want to take the vaccine. And one of the, the issues for some people of color is not necessarily trusting that they're not being an, an experiment because of historical trauma with vaccines, but also in present day experiences, sometimes feeling that they're treated differently in healthcare. So I'm just wondering, you know, Dr. Small, maybe you'd like to, you know, answer that one first. Are there things that you've learned to encourage your patients um, regarding those kinds of issues that I think are, are real concerns that people may express? Yes, thank you. First of all, it's one of the things that I've found very powerful was the fact that I've been vaccinated. Several people have said to me, I saw you in line, Dr. Small, getting vaccinated. Because of that, I'm going to get vaccinated, being that example. And then sitting, taking the time to sit down and talk to my patients about the vaccine and being open and honest about them. This vaccine has been created very differently from all uh, um, other vaccines in the past. And so I can understand the um, trepidation people uh, may have because it's never been done so quickly. Even I had questions about that, but this vaccine was is created totally different and I've never seen so much transparency being offered to doctors about hmm. any medication. Uh, one of my colleagues questioned, had a question about a reaction a patient had, and they were very quick to answer her and gave a very eloquent response to her, her question. And all I can say is that I honestly have a lot of hope in this vaccine, no. Do we have all the answers? Of course, we can't have all the answers. Medicine is fluid. But I truly believe that this is a game changer. This technology is a game changer that we're going to use in the future for other things, other illnesses that are going to improve the quality of everyone's life. I encourage everybody to get the vaccine. Well, Dr. Small, just from what you just said, I mean, that was very encouraging. I'm also wondering if there's anything more you'd want to say, knowing that there may be some listeners that are on the fence about whether to take it or not. Is there any like thing that you say to your patients besides the fact that I took it because that would be very powerful for people that know you? Is there anything else that you would say would be a gem that uh, you want to try to get across more than what you've already said? Um, well, I guess... I haven't honestly met too many people that are dead set against it. The people who are on the fence, though, I, I see so this is something that we're off we're offering to everybody, and that the uh, the science is clear that this is what if it's experiment if you consider it experimental because it's new. It's for the world at large. Yeah. And since the world at large is, is giving this vaccine, I, I wouldn't be afraid of it. There are some countries that have said to that their, um, their population, if you're a human being, you're getting the vaccine. That's how <laughs> we're giving it out. Every human being gets a vaccine, period, the end. You live here, you get one. That's how we're giving, that's what we're doing. You know, you, if you're sitting on the fence that it's going to be different for you than for everyone else in the world, 
I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty definite. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to Dr. Grabby now and ask her the same question about what she would say if someone's on the fence and if she has anything to know. I know she's I happen to know that Dr. Grabby's connected to the CDC in a very uh, close way. So go ahead. <laughs> Linda, you can share that or not. <laughs> oh, it's just I my husband's an epidemiologist at CDC, so I hear some of the news uh, early on. But anyway, um, um, I want to point out that uh, Britain uh, has already achieved, I think, over 12% immunization in their country. Well, that's because they have a national health service. Mm-hmm. We don't. We're like the only developed, so-called developed country that doesn't have um, health care for all. So... Um, just things would be much smoother if we did have um, National Health Service. Um, So my plan is after I get my second shot this week, I'm going to volunteer since I teach part-time. I'm going to take a whole day a week uh, and just vaccinate people. It's my little bit, but I feel like, uh, well, I want to go into communities where there is um, concern and vaccine hesitancy because I figure, you know, if it's a good experience for some key stakeholders, they might go home and talk to their neighbors and send them in and I'll try to make it a good experience and perhaps I'll do a little uh, community resiliency model uh, on with the patients while they're uh, getting their shot. Well, and I know that you've had a big dedication to the homeless population mm-hmm. of of Atlanta, Georgia. And I don't know if you want to say a little bit about that. Is that part of your plan that you're going to, I know that you've taken me to the Covenant House in Atlanta, where I was just amazed by the young people I met there and, and how resilient they were and how they were trying to change their lived experience that they had pretty hard childhoods. And yet they had, again, that grit that we talk about. Well, I think uh, trauma makes us uh, stronger and, uh, but it also can make us more vulnerable. We just have to be aware. Um, my experience was with uh, working, doing primary care with women who were in a drug treatment center. Uh, and, um, you know, their stories were so traumatic. They're, they had all had childhood trauma, and lo and behold, they had addiction problems, mental health problems. And it was all connected. And this was before I heard of the Adverse Childhood Experiences study. But that makes, it validates what I was already seeing. So, uh, you know, the women that I, um, I interviewed for an article I wrote on girlhood betrayals um, um, told me their stories. And they really live in me, <laughs> those women. And... Um, you know, I carry them in my heart, and uh, I wish I'd known Krim, but when I, when I was back in school for my psychiatric nurse practitioner training, I was really looking for something I could impart quickly to people, because I may only see them once, and Elaine, you're experienced in disaster zones, so it's I the am. same sort of situation, yes. um, but that's why I'm uh, very much enthusiastic about the community resiliency model. Now, uh, the other thing is that um, 
if um, there's the iChill app, which is free and also in Spanish. So anybody listening can download that and listen to Elaine explaining the skills. Now, these are not just skills that healthcare providers may use to ground themselves, to get through their days, to be less tired, perhaps, at the end of the shift, but they can use it with their patients. And so here the patients are undergoing such a traumatic experience and fear of dying uh, and no family, perhaps, but, but the CRIM skills can be shared at the bedside uh, in uh fairly quickly. So, um, Elaine, perhaps you would like to say more about that. Yes, I would love to say that more, but I'm going to have, I'm going to ask Dr. Small because one of my loved experiences with Dr. Small is, and I really want, you know, listeners to know that a lot of these ideas started germinating in me when I was a teacher of family medicine at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center, and I was the uh, behavioral science faculty with Dr. Small. So my joy was teaching the residents about behavioral sciences. But I realized that they needed something that was quick and that didn't take a lot of time. But the other thing about the community resiliency model, it's based on neuroscience. And because it's based on neuroscience, it was teaching people about, oh, you have an accelerator and break of your nervous system, which is your sympathetic, which is your your accelerator that makes your heart go really fast and it's your brake that puts on that nice little resiliency pause where you might take a parasympathetic breath and all of a sudden you're, you feel a little bit better. But one day, Dr. Small left a wonderful uh, voice message. And I'm going to just nudge you about this one, Debbie, because we didn't talk about it beforehand. But do you remember that? Yes, because I, I want you to know that Dr. Small okay. is an amazing doctor, but there was something about using this little, these little strategies that I taught to her that she, I'm going to just tell you the opening line and then you can go to say the rest. She goes, I'm a healer. I'm a healer. And then she tells me the story. So go ahead, Dr. Small. And yes. Okay. But everybody, I, I was a brand new attendee. I was just fresh out of residency. You were fresh out. That's fresh exactly out. True. And you were fresh out. Um, one of the greatest gifts, um, being a, board, a founding board member of the Trauma Research Institute, is, cre- is that creation of that iChill app. Okay, so here's the story. There is a patient who was admitted directly to clinic from clinic because of uncontrolled hypertension, and you know everybody was trying to figure out why isn't her blood pressure controlled? She says she's taking her medications. They're giving her her medications. It was so high they had her in the ICU, and I was coming into round and I asked the nurse, "Well, let's check her blood pressure," and the nurse said, "Well, okay, Miss." pretend you're at the beach and she said okay and her blood pressure was sky high and so I I was talking to her trying to find out what what makes you happy in other words what is your resource and she said well I'm afraid of water so telling me to pretend that I'm at the beach is not comforting okay I I don't know how to how when you say ground yourself at the beach, I'm afraid of water. So it's, it's not helpful. So I just asked, well, what, what makes you 
comfortable? What makes you happy? And she said, I have this couch. It's the way my living room is set up. It's in the center of the room. This couch is just so comfortable. It knows every curve of my body. And I can see everywhere in the house on this couch. I said, well, let's bring you to that couch and resource the feeling that you have because the couch knows your body so well. And it took a simple 10 minute exercise or less. And I asked the nurse, well, let's recheck her, her blood pressure. And it was normal. <laughs> and I was like, I'm a healer, I'm a healer. <laughs> I, but when it, it, it helped us get to the, the real um, uh, foundation of, it, of why that, that month and her blood pressure being so high was um, all about and to offer her some um, real help once we got past that and she felt better then she could open up about what's going on at home and help her with her blood pressure. And I think that's an important segue as we're, you know, talking about patients, we're talking about doctors, we're talking about nurses. Sometimes we need a little bit of a bridge to get to that point where we may feel, okay, I can feel a little bit better and maybe I need a little bit more help. Because we're not saying with the community resiliency model, it's the beginning and the end of everything. We're saying that it may be the beginning And the ability to self-regulate even a little, sometimes a person will say, well, maybe I I might need to speak with a mental health professional, or maybe I need to go to my doctor and, you know, get that blood pressure checked up, whatever it might be. So I'm really wanting to, you know, emphasize this right now as we're, we're talking about these stories that, of course, are little gems for me when I hear them. But I also want to get back to one more, um, you know, Lindy, I'm going to want to come back to you because one of the things you said about nurses being exhausted. So how do you think that some of the skills that we're talking about, maybe there's some other remedies as well, can help with that exhaustion? Because exhaustion, we know, can also very much lead to burnout. And also, you know, we talk about depression. You, you mentioned depression in nurses. Um, what do you think is, is something, are some of the things that nurses can think about if they're listening today? about that exhaustion? Because I don't think it's going to go away easily with how they're working so hard. Well, certainly, you know, we all need to be exercising, getting enough sleep and eating healthy foods. Um, But, and then treating yourself well with considerable compassion. But um, I really do think that these uh, sensory awareness skills of CRIM can be um, a way to reset the nervous system, get into that parasympathetic state of recovery that you can do for yourself off and on during the day. Um, There's no limit. Um, Just pay attention to what's going on in your body. Notice what's happening in your body. Listen to your body uh, to the extent that it's comfortable. Yeah, and uh, I think that that sensory piece is important because if you're so fatigued and you're exhausted, and even if you spend a little bit of time doing what you both have suggested in here, in this show today, that perhaps that could help you to activate that part of your well-being, and we know that what you pay attention to grows. So that could be one small way, but I'm glad you mentioned, you know, just that self-compassion, and sometimes it's hard 
you know, when you when you think about Debbie, Dr. Small, when you mentioned that patient and you talked to Dr. Lamb and he said, you know, this is happening to all of us right now. Because I think there's that thing, could I have done more for the patient? Right. And I think that that can lead to that, oh my goodness, am I a good enough nurse doctor? And during this pandemic, I think that's part of it too, because there's so much. There's, you know, as you told me one day, you know, Dr. Small, that there was, you'd signed seven death certificates in one day. That's a lot. And so when that happens with that amount that everyone is experiencing right now, that we need to remember how we can cultivate that resiliency, what else is true, which is what we've been talking about. And, and, and Lindy, Dr. Grabby, you were saying the nurses in the study said sometimes just touching the fabric of their, their scrubs or, or touching their, their ring on their finger. And all of a sudden they came back to the present moment. They took that parasympathetic breath because it's giving their nervous system a break from being from the accelerator being on and pushed to the, to the helm where you're, you're just buzzing on the inside. So we have to give our nervous system a break. And that comes through our sensory system, not just what we think, not just what we feel, but what we sense. And so I just really want to underscore that today for all of the healthcare providers that are listening and for all of us that are suffering right now, because I know that some of you that are listening are not necessarily in healthcare, but maybe you know someone you love. And so some of the strategies that have been mentioned are, are, are just so important. Um, as we're getting ready to end, okay, have one more, go I ahead, Wendy. I just want Lindy. to say that the nurses actually use those little skills, that, that body awareness in codes during Uh, clinical situations, uh, crises. They were doing it instantaneously. It's not like they went and sat someplace for two minutes and focused on their breath. They just did it instantaneously as a way of grounding. And so that's very important because one of the things that struck me about your study that you did with the nurses um, that was published in Nursing Outlook and it was January of 2020 was that a year later, there was an 80% improvement in well-being. That was an improvement from the three-month mark, which I think it was 60%. So I saw that and going, wow, Lindy, how, how did that happen? But I think it's because they integrate it. Well, we just about, we almost come to an end. So I just want to thank you both for being with us today. I just can't say enough. And thank you for your service to your patients, to your residents, to fellow nurses and your fellow colleagues. I know that um, Dr. Small, if they want to contact you, they can contact you through the Trauma Resource Institute website, and they can um, just say contact. You'd like to talk to Dr. Small. Also through smalld at armc.spcounty.gov. Again, smalld at armc.spccounty.gov. And Dr. Grabby, you have a website now called Crim Georgia. So www.crimgeorgia.com and that's crmgeorgia.org. I'm sorry, .org. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Tom will get you there too. I think. Okay. So www.crimgeorgia.org and she's doing a lot to crim up Georgia and we'll have her come back again to talk about what she's doing in the community. And also, um, I just also want to, I, there's a question that if people want to know how to train people in uh, in CRIM for nurses, can they just contact you, uh, Dr. Grabby? 
through no, Crim they Georgia. They need to contact you. Well, they can contact me if they want to become a Crim teacher, but I just want oh. you to know we got a lot of uh, sure. Crim teachers out there that they don't have to contact me. So they can contact the Trauma Resource Institute or the Crim Georgia. And if you call Crim Georgia and you want a great nurse to give you a training, Lindy Grabby and her group are, are just there. Yeah, we so, do workshops and one hour three or three hour workshops, yes. Okay, so thank you both of you. And remember, all of you listening, what else is true in your life? I think we've had two incredible examples of what that can be for all of you. And I will see you next week when we have Dr. Phil Allen, who will share with us the amazing documentary called Open Wounds and the book that will soon be published about the tragic death of his grandfather that led to so much transgenerational trauma, but also resiliency. It will be a discussion about racism in America and how we can overcome. So thank you so much, everyone, for being with us today. And this is, again, Elaine Miller-Karras, Resiliency Within. Thank you, Dr. Debbie Small and Dr. Lindy Grabby, my buddies and friends and colleagues. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. 